0: The text that I've chosen for our consideration this morning is found in the book of Colossians. The Bible consists of letters to groups and letters to individuals, and this happens to be a letter written uh, by the Apostle Paul to a group of people in the visible church in the city of Colossae, uh, a city in Asia Minor, In the first century. And the text I've chosen is found in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. So if you would look at the text and keep your Bible open at it, keep your thumb in it, even we may turn to other texts, I will seek to apply it to us this morning. It's a very apt text for Thanksgiving Day. I can't think of one that would be more apt More appropriate. Colossians 3.17 Why don't we read it together. And whatsoever ye do. In word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now in this verse. It is obvious that the. People to whom these words were written are being given instructions as to the ways in which they are to give thanks. The ways in which they are to give thanks. The first way, according to the text, is that they are to give thanks to God and the Father. That should be very obvious if you look at the text. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father. So the first piece of instruction is this, pertaining to the way in which they are to give thanks. They are to give thanks to God. Now this in itself is very instructive, because if you notice... Uh, if you watch television, that sometimes the, the, the news people, uh, at this time of the year, they will, they will say, give thanks. We hope you'll give thanks. We hope you'll be thankful. And they stop there. They never say anything else. They just say, we hope you'll be thankful. But the question is, to whom should we be thankful? To whom should you be thankful? This text gives you the answer. You should be thankful to God. The God who's described in the Bible. For he is the only true God. There is no other God. If you've got an idea of any other God. You've got the wrong idea. There is only one God. And that's the God who's described in the Bible. Now why should we give thanks to him? Well, there are a number of answers to that in the Bible And I believe that the Bible should be used to tell us about God About ourselves, about Jesus Christ After all, that's where the terms came from So the best place to find about them is in this book So the reason why we should give thanks to him is made very clear in here Starting right at the very start Why should I give thanks to God? Well, go to the very first verse Of the very first book of the Bible? And you have part of the answer. Why did God? Because in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's why. This earth upon which we live was created by Him, made by Him, out of nothing by his power and the heavens and then to continue the story from the Bible verse 11 of Genesis 1 and God said let the earth bring forth grass the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the trees yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Then move on to verse 26, Genesis 1:26, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Then in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, God's promise, after He had sent a flood to punish mankind at that time, He said, in Genesis 8:22, "While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease." So you see the story is that God created what we enjoy in this present life. He created these things that we see around the windows, and everything else, for our benefit, for our good. He did it. And that's why he should be thanked. Now in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, said, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And isn't that for sure? All over this earth, all through its history, there are multitudes who had no time for the God of the Bible and no time for the Bible of God and no time for Jesus Christ nor his church. No time for any of that. And yet God Keep sending them sunshine and rain and sunshine and rain makes their earth fertile. They're able to plant. They're able to reap the benefits of what they've planted. They're able to enjoy it for their bodies day after day after day. Indeed, as we've just sung, great is thy faithfulness. And then in Matthew six twenty six, Jesus Christ again said, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Now here you see the term Father entering into the picture. Just as our text indicated that we are to give thanks to God and the Father. And then in verses 28 through 30 of that same passage where Jesus is warning his disciples not to become distracted. He says, Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven? Shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. And so here you have Jesus saying that God is the one who clothes the grass of the field. God is the one who made those beautiful lilies. That so many of us admire. And all the other flowers. And then Paul when he was uh, preaching in Acts 17. Acts 17. On over beyond. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. In Acts 17, when he was preaching in the city of Athens, which city still exists to this very day, unlike Colossae, he said to the people in Athens, in 17 verse 28, for in him, and his audience at this point was what we might call a pagan audience. It was a Grecio-Roman audience audience. And he stands out there and he says to them, for in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And so Paul is saying to them, you people out there, you exist by his power. In him you live and move and have your being. And that's true right now. You exist by his power, by the power of your creator and your God. That's why you're able to sit there. That's why I'm able to stand here. In Him we live and move and have our being. He made all. And we enjoy what He has made, and that sustains us. The air we breathe, the water we drink, eyesight, hearing, taste, touch, smell, all from Him. And then back a couple of chapters, in Acts chapter 14, verse 17. Acts 14.17 Paul says Nevertheless he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. And we here in these United States sure have that, don't we? And there will be multitudes today whose hearts will be filled with food and gladness. And yet they will never think of the giver. They will never think of their benefactor. Just like animals, they kind of arise in the morning, give themselves a shake, eat their meal and loaf around the rest of the day and then sleep and eat a little more. That's how their days go. There is no God in their life. There is no Jesus Christ in your life. There's nothing like that. And then. There's a very beautiful verse. In James one seventeen. James one seventeen. Right after the book of Hebrews. On through the New Testament. To James 1.17. And here is the term. Father used again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down. God is the one who made it. God is the one who sustains it. God is the one who gives it. I know I often pity people who don't understand this and who don't know this. Because this to me, as I've often illustrated, is the same as saying that this watch of mine had no watchmaker. Now can you imagine if I was foolish enough just to accept this watch and say, Oh, it just arrived. It just evolved. All the pieces just came together like this, in this order, and this beauty. Now that's how stupid it is to say that there's not someone behind this great universe which makes this watch look like like nothing by comparison. And that's why in the letter to 2nd Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 Paul writes to those in the visible church in the city of Corinth in the first century. Not Colossae, but Corinth. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And The Father of mercies simply means that he's the author of mercies. And mercy is something that we get that we don't deserve. So you see, our text is very apt at this point, isn't it? The first instruction which we are given and which they were given back then is still the same dis- instruction and will be forever concerning whom we should thank. In Colossians 3.17, I hope you still have your thumb in the In the text. Because this is what we're really studying. Supported by other texts. To show you that the Bible is the same throughout. It's saying the same thing all the way through. Is that we should give thanks to God. Whatsoever you do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now the second piece of instruction It's just as specific as the first. And it is this. That they were required to give thanks through a person called in the text. The Lord Jesus. They were required to give thanks through Jesus Christ. Notice the phraseology. At the end of the verse, it says, by him. By him. And towards the beginning, it says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, those two phrases, by him and do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, indicate that the giving of thanks to God and the Father is to be done through him. Now that's very specific. That may even appear to you to be somewhat bigoted. That may appear to be somewhat narrow. And the answer to that is it is. It is narrow. Because it is the way which the Bible. Gives. And there is no other way to come to the only true God. And there is no other way to come to your Creator and your Sustainer, your Benefactor, and your coming Judge. There is no other way to Him. That's why when you hear people saying, Oh, yes, I believe there is a God. And then they start to tell you what they think about him or it or whatever it is they're talking about. It's all very nebulous. Very vague. Because men by nature, you see, are prone to invent other gods of their own ideas. Gods that are not found in this book. Whereas there's only one true God, the God of this book, who's described therein. And there's only one way to him. He is your creator. He is your sustainer. He is your benefactor. He has given you all these things richly to enjoy. But there's only one way to him. And that's through Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know that? Is that in the Bible also? Yes, it is. Just as plainly as the other matter is in the Bible, which we've just examined, so is this. John fourteen six. Here are the words of Jesus Christ. John 14.6 Now you can't have it any more plain than this. And this is what you must come to. If. You would give thanks to the only true God. You must submit. To what you're now reading. Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no one, you, me, nor anyone else, cometh unto the Father. That's the person we've just read about. God and the Father, the Father of mercies. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's it. Jesus said that. Now, that's either true or it's false. It is true. If it is true, then you must act on that. Now, as you go further along uh, in the chapter, look in verse 8. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. And so you find here Jesus identifying himself with the Father. And indicating that he's in an integral relationship with the Father. Which is what the Bible teaches. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God. Three persons. All of one essence. Of one plan. And all one in power. Jesus Christ is the son of God the only way to God is through him that's why you find Paul when writing to Timothy in 1st Timothy 2.5 1st Timothy 2.5 he writes for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In John fourteen verse one, the Lord Jesus again said John fourteen one, let not your heart be troubled, ye believe in God. But he didn't stop there did he he said believe also in me and then in John 16 23 and 24 and in that day you shall ask me nothing these are the words of Jesus verily verily I say unto you whosoever you shall at whatsoever he shall ask the father in my name he will give it you hitherto I have Have ye asked nothing in my name? Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. And in the chapter before that, in verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. What does all of this mean? Well, it means that we have need of someone between us and God. We have need of a mediator, as we've just read. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. So it indicates some type of separation, doesn't it? I mean, sheer logic would lead you to that conclusion. Even though you may not understand it with your heart. So we stand in need of some type of mediator. Why is that? Because each of us in this room. Is a sinner. By nature. We inherited that. That's a problem with which each of us. You and me is born. We inherited that. From our first parents who sinned. Now we just read. A little while back. That God placed them in that beautiful environment. Gave them everything to enjoy. But he also annexed to that a responsibility. A responsibility to obey his law. And he promised them that if they failed in that responsibility. If they disobeyed him and broke that law. They would lose that beautiful relationship with him. Which they had. That ability to know Him aright and love Him aright and serve Him aright would be lost. And they'd be plunged into what the Bible calls spiritual death instead of spiritual life. And they would lose that ability to know Him aright, to love Him aright, and to serve Him aright. And that's exactly what happened. Our first parents disobeyed. They got the result of their disobedience. Which was to be separated from God. Lose the spiritual relationship with God which they had. Be plunged into spiritual death. And that's the reason why. Men and women. You and me. By nature. Live as I've described earlier. By nature. As the animals live. That's why multitudes have Bibles in their homes. Quite often big family Bibles at that. But are they found reading them? Desiring to know what they're saying? Loving the person whom they describe? And desiring to serve him? No. Most of those Bibles lie close somewhere like that. Gathering dust. On occasions at a, a birth or a wedding or a, a, a burial someone may put a little note in them. But that's about the height of it let me tell you my friend unless you know this book you will not know the person inside this book and the reason that we are like that from birth on the run is because of that nature which we inherited from our first parents they fell, that's how theologians describe it, they fell from here all the way, the fall the fall from this to this that's why we're found from birth on the run from God. Not knowing him, not loving him, not serving him. And we are born under his wrath, the Bible says. The wrath of God abideth on him. We are born as enemies of God, not the friends of God. The popular philosophy would tell you that you're born as a friend of God. The Bible tells you that you are born as an enemy of God. I am born as an enemy of God. And the wrath of God abideth on me. And should I remain in that state, I will end up in what Jesus called, and which is called elsewhere in scripture, an eternal hell. I realize we live in a day when from behind many pulpits you're never going to hear that term. I realize from behind many pulpits you're going to simply hear that you're a jolly good Joe and you ought to get out there and try to do your bit and summon up the good that's within you and Do all the good you can to all the people you can as often as you can. That's all very well. But it it is not what the Bible teaches about your human nature and my human nature. It teaches us that we are born as sinners. We are born separated from God. We are born under the wrath of God. And we are born, as far as the human eye can see, on our way to an eternal hell. It is God's punishment Against our first parents for their sins. Which has been transferred to their posterity. Throughout all of history. And we suffer and groan under it. And we are part of it. That explains all of the pain and sufferings. And blood, sweat and tears. Throughout all of history. Until the end of time. Which may be today. Who knows and the Lord will come again and wrap it all up. That explains it all. That's why... We need a mediator. That's why you need someone between God and you. Now men, of course, because of that nature and because of their spiritual ignorance, are always prone to try to summon up some other kind of mediator. Sometimes it's not a person, but it's an action. They try to summon up, for example, baptism as a child. So long as you get baptized as a child. That's your mediator. Into God's fellowship. The Bible does not teach that. Or they may summon up the idea. That through confirmation. You have a mediator. And from that on. When you confirm a set of theological principles in your mind. And profess them with your mouth. Before a church or before quote unquote clergy. That's your mediator. Then you are then you are in to God's favor. The Bible does not teach that. There are those who would erect a mediator of their own good works. They're trying to do their best. Works righteousness it's called. Trying to live by the golden rule. Trying to keep the ten commandments. And they hope that when God meets them and they meet him in the judgment. That he'll let them into his heaven. The Bible does not teach that. Now you see I keep emphasizing the Bible does not teach it. Because this is where all must come from. If you are to know the truth. It never ceases to amaze me. How many people profess to be Christians. Who don't know what's in the scriptures from which the very term came. The term Christian comes out of this. So if you want to know what it takes to be a Christian. And you want to know what it takes to become a Christian. This is the place to get the information. Not out there somewhere. Not through some man. But right in here. And if it's not in here. And can't be substantiated from in here. Dump it. Forget it. For your own soul's sake. So there are those that have made baptism a mediator. They've made confirmation a mediator. They've made partaking of the sacraments a mediator. So long as they duly partake of the sacraments. They're all right. They'll be in. The Bible does not teach this. Then there are those who have made men mediators. Human priests, as they're called, mediators. Roman Catholic priests, mediators. The Bible does not teach that. And then there are some who have made Mary a mediator. Even the Pope himself has recently... He says, dedicated the world to Mary. Where is that in here? Now you know, I have people come from this building. I've been here a long time now. Over 19 years, preaching behind this pulpit. And over those years, I've had people come in here, and oh, they go out so disgusted. Because they that minister of yours, he attacked infant baptism. He attacked uh, confirmation. He attacked... Uh, Taking the Lord's Supper. He attacked uh, the human Roman Catholic priests. He attacked Mary. Why? Because it's not in here. What can I do? What can I say? This is the church. That's the word that came out of here. Church. It came right out of this book. Just like Christ and Christian. So, if I want to know anything about it, it's in here. Now, if I find that, that baptism would act as a mediator between me and God, if I find a confirmation would act as a mediator between me and God, if I found that confession to a human priest would act as a mediator between me and God, or if I find that Mary could act as a mediator between me and God in this book, I too would believe it and accept it and rest my soul on it. But I cannot... Because the Bible says the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because he did before God what I cannot do. God requires of me perfect obedience to his law in thought, word and deed every second of every minute of every hour of every day for the totality of my life. And I just cannot give it. I have not. I cannot. And I will not. It's impossible. But God's standard of perfection, total obedience to this, still stands before me. And if I'm to try to get into heaven and be accepted by him and have the forgiveness of my sins on the basis of my trying to do this and obey this, I've had it. I'm lost. Because I'm a sinner and I don't have the ability. Jesus did it. He came from heaven Wrapped himself around with a true human nature. And a true human body just like mine. Born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life. He had no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. He never thought a sinful thought. He never spoke a sinful word. And he never did a sinful deed. He did before God. What I need. Which I could not do. And then. Then. Then love of love because I deserve an eternal hell he took my hell for me that's the meaning of his sufferings his blood, his sweat, his tears his cries that's the meaning of his cry on the cross my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? that's what he did for me He loved me and gave himself for me. And God poured out on him all of the wrath that all of his sheep deserve. Throughout all of eternity in the eternal hell. God poured it all out on him in his sufferings. Throughout life and particularly towards the end of his life. And above all upon the cross. And that's why he cried. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he was being as forsaken then. As all of those whom he came to save deserve to be forsaken in eternal hell. He was suffering their forsaking in their place that they might not have to suffer it. Now God did that in Jesus. Jesus came and did that. Where would I be if I flew in the face of that and said, God, I don't want that. I don't need that. Here's my baptism, here's my confirmation, here's my sacramentarianism, partaking of the sacraments. Here's my human priest, here's Mary. Why? It's abomination. It's saying to God, God, I don't need what your book teaches, and I don't need what Jesus did. That's why you must come to Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He and nothing else and no one else is salvation and is the ground of acceptance with God. Is the ground of forgiveness by God. And is the ground for the hope of going to heaven should you have a heart attack this morning and be taken into eternity like that. Nothing else. No one else. God vouched for that work by raising Jesus bodily from the dead. He came forth from the tomb. He was seen of many. And then 40 days later, he ascended bodily to his glory where he now is and from whence he's coming again. This is what the book teaches. He is now in his glory in that place that he's gone to prepare for his people. And the question that confronts each one of us in this room this morning. You and me is this. Am I one of his people? Is Jesus Christ mine? Is he my personal saviour? And am I giving thanks to God and the Father through him? Or am I simply giving some type of a nebulous thanks. To some type of a God out there. Whom I think is a God Or whom I have invented to be a God. Or am I giving thanks to the God of the Bible. Through his appointed way to him. Who is Jesus Christ and his work. That alone is salvation. And that alone makes you a Christian. Don't ever think that you're a Christian. And I don't care what church you belong to. I don't care how high it is or how broad it is. Or anything else. Don't ever think that you're a Christian if this is not it for you. If what what I've said to you this morning is not yours, you have not yet been born again, according to this book. And this is my authority. You notice I'm not making this up out of my head. I'm getting this all from here. This is my authority. Don't call yourself a Christian as yet. You might call yourself a church member, you might call yourself religious, but don't, in view of the God, your creator, benefactor, and coming judge, who's laid this out to you so plainly, don't ever call yourself a Christian. Until you are giving thanks to God and the Father through Jesus Christ. That's the thrust of the text. And what's the last part of it? Colossians 3.17 Colossians 3.17 What's the last part? Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. They are to give thanks to God. They are to give thanks through Christ. And they are to give thanks totally. Speaking and what? What? Doing. Someone has called this thanks living. And I like that. Thanksgiving with the mouth. And thanks living with the life. And whatsoever. Totally. Ye do in word. Or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to ask you friends. How many people. Do you know. Are doing that today. You tell me. You're out there. You're rubbing shoulders with neighbors, friends, all the rest of the people you work with. How many people are giving thanks to God and the Father through Jesus Christ with their lips? Why? Again, you just have to listen to television. What? What are they? Ta- what are they always talking about? Lady Luck, Mother Nature, nonsense measured by this you know why they talk like that because they don't know the God of the Bible nor the Christ of the Bible because they are not Christians in the Bible sense of the term that's why and they're passing that kind of garbage on through the media that kind of language and the young people are lapping it up as the TV sets and so they grew up thinking oh mother luck she's out there somewhere what is it mother luck Mother Nature Lady Luck they don't know a thing about this book and we have a heathen nation in spite of us being called Christian we have a heathen nation sad isn't it how many people do you hear give thanks to God and the Father watch people eat their meals Watch them rush around during working hours to rush out for a bite to eat at lunchtime. Watch them. Do they ever bow their heads and give thanks to God and the Father? Do they give thanks to God and the Father through Jesus Christ? With word? You tell me. And you tell me about you. You profess to be a Christian. You tell me about you. Because you're more important to you than anyone else. Because of you. That were born alone. And it's you who are living alone. And it's you who will die alone. And it's you who will meet the God I'm speaking about this morning alone. And you will give an account for what you've heard even this morning. What about your word? And what about your deed? Where are you spending your time, your treasure, your talents? On your own pleasures, profits, and pursuits only? Or are they given over to your benefactor who's given you all in the first place are you returning to him with your time your treasure your talents are you giving back to him who's given so much to you in the way of mercy and especially if you have been born again and you're a Christian and God is your father in that special intimate sense who's adopted you into his family what about your time treasure and talents in things It's Thanksgiving Day after all. And why did I go to a Thanksgiving Day service? Why don't I give thanks? You thought that. Now you're here. And you're faced with the facts about your Thanksgiving. Maybe you came in here very nebulous about the whole matter. Very vague. No set concrete ideas. No real foundation. You've been given it this morning. Colossians 3.17 Look at it. We read it together at the start. We'll read it together now at the end. Ready. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You must give thanks to God. There is only one God. The God is described in this book. The triune God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You must give thanks to Him. You must give thanks through Jesus Christ. Or your thanks is not accepted at all. You may as well save your breath. Because Jesus said without me you can do nothing. And nothing is nothing is nothing. That's what makes it nothing. You must give thanks to Christ. You must give thanks to God through Christ. In order to do that you must come to Christ. You must call upon Christ. You be my mediator. I cast down my reliance on myself. My own works, my own efforts, my own righteousnesses. My reliance upon baptism, confirmation, sacramentarianism, human priest, Virgin Mary, Pope, whatever. I cast it down before you, Jesus. And I take you alone to be the way of my access to God. The hope of my forgiveness for sins and my hope of heaven. You must do that. In order to be able to give thanks to God the Father through Christ. And from then on, you go out, you go out. To praise him and give thanks to him in word and in deed. Things are different now. You go out a new person. God has applied his word to you. You have felt the impact of it in your mind and in your heart. And you have acted upon it. You have come to God saying, God, I'm the sinner I see my sins, I see my inadequacy, I see my inability, but I see Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, there as a mediator, and I come to you through him. Lord Jesus, you be my Savior, you be my mediator, you be my priest, you be my prophet, you be my king. Save me, that I can go out of here to give thanks truly by your standard in word and in deed. That's what you must do. Just think. You could start today. For the first time in your life. To give thanks. A right. Just think of that. You could start today. For the first time in your life. To give thanks. A right. By obeying. This verse. May God help you to do it. Shall we pray? Lord, this is a wonderful verse for a Thanksgiving Day. Couldn't be better. Help us to remember it. Colossians 3.17 Lord, bury it in our minds, in our hearts. There may be some here this morning that have been surprised by all of this. Surprised by the, the force of it. Surprised by what they're hearing. Lord, I pray that you'd be pleased to convict someone and convert someone through the preaching of your word this morning. For one day each of us in this room shall stand before you, our creator, our sustainer, as our judge. We shall give an account for that which we've heard in this life from your word, the Bible, and what we've heard here this morning. I'm just going to give you a moment to pray on the basis of what you've heard to God and the Father. I'm going to give you a moment to come to him through Jesus Christ, to ask him to be your saviour. Have you done it? Lord, I pray for any upon whom you may have worked, that you'd be pleased to work mightily by your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, for his glory, amen. Amen. Roll horse up.